Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. If your brain is not functioning at its best, then check out what the team at vlight.com do. Now, vlight produces photobiomodulation devices. Now, your brain function depends largely on the health of the energy sources of the brain cells, in other words, the mitochondria. And research has shown that stimulating your brain with near-infrared light revitalizes mitochondria. Now, I use these devices daily for both my own optimal brain function and also for other age-related decline issues, and also for my mum's brain rehabilitation after her aneurysm and stroke. So check out what the team do at vilight.com that's v-i-e-l-i-g-h-t.com and use the code tarmati at checkout to get 10% off any of their devices now this week i have running physiotherapist brody sharp to guest from melbourne now brody has been on the podcast earlier talking about prevention of running injuries but today we delve a little bit deeper into the science of pain how much our brain influences and the way we frame uh, pain in our minds and our perceptions of it uh, and how that actually affects our healing process. So it's a really, really interesting topic. We also get into uh, relative energy deficit, uh, which is uh, looking at overtraining and the problems associated with pushing your body too hard, too fast when you don't have enough nutrients going in. So make sure you check this out. Now, before I go and head over to Brody, I uh, just want to remind you my book, Relentless, is coming out next week. So the time of this podcast is the beginning of March, and it's going to be out on the 11th of March. So if you're listening to this after that date, it will already be published. Um, we are going to be launching uh, starting in New Plymouth, and we have a launch tour going right through New Zealand. So if you're keen to come and meet me, if you want to find out more about the book, um, you can come and meet me at one of the launch events head on over to lisatarmati.com and you'll see the book launch tour. And you can also already pre-order the book now at, at my sh- in my shop. So lisatarmati.com, push the shop button and that will take you over to the books in the shop. Okay, so now over to Brody Sharp in Melbourne. Well, hi everybody. Welcome back to Pushing the Limits with Lisa Tarmati. Today I have Brody Sharp with me. Brody is in Australia and he is a physiotherapist with a bent for running. <laughs> That's the <laughs> way of putting it, eh, Brody? Yeah. Uh, and Brody has been already a guest on the show, and we don't have many repeat guests on the show, but Brody's knowledge is just insane. Um, he has really some specialized areas that he's working in, that I, and I wanted to share you, uh, with you guys his latest insights. And also, he's got a brand new podcast himself, so he's going to tell you a little bit about that. But Brody, welcome to the show. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks for having me. And congratulations with the new book as well. Oh, thanks, mate. It's yeah, it's nearly killed me, but I'm it's nearly, yeah. <laughs> another two weeks, and I can at least get this baby out. <laughs> but it's uh, been a been a rough road. Now, Brody, just to because if, if people haven't heard your first um, interview that we did, can you give them a, a quick sort of synopsis of who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm from Melbourne, Australia, and I've been a physiotherapist for about seven years. Um, just going to my eighth year now. And it was about two years into my physio career that I started running and becoming a runner and just realized as soon as I started running and went through my own running injuries myself, that I just became a lot more passionate with 
seeing runners. And as soon as a runner would come in the door, I'd have this like heightened passion and just want to talk about all things running or like, do you measure your cadence? What are you training for? What shoes are you wearing? All that sort of thing. And yeah, I just was really passionate about uh, getting them back onto the track and seeing them achieve their running goals and just overcoming their injuries, getting back to whatever goals they have uh, and sort of found a need and wanted to just address that more. I wanted to see more runners. I wanted to see more people getting back to their running goals. And so started a couple of things. I started the um, Everyday Running Legends podcast, which was like a passion project of mine, just trying to inspire a lot of people. And now I've just transitioned to a bit more on the business side of things, um, starting my new company. It's called the Breakthrough Running Clinic. And I am offering uh, online physio for runners. And that has taken me into the last couple of months starting another podcast called the Run Smarter Podcast. Wow. That's a whole lot for uh, to be doing all at once because I know what it's like to start a new company in online especially. It's yeah. So congratulations on that. And, you know, the last time we did speak, uh, gosh, it must be a year and a half or something like that ago. Yeah. Um, you were thinking about this. So it's, it's really nice to see that you've actually taken the leap and starting to transition out and onto your own and in, into your own empire and you know and you're adding all the time to your knowledge base and that's what I really love about you is that you're you're constantly on the search for the the next and the you know constant learning so we've, we've got a lot to talk about today so Brody I wanted to start um and yeah everybody go and check out the Run Smarter podcast so make sure you do subscribe to that and you know take advantage of meeting these cool people via this podcast um and get more knowledge from Brody. But Brody, let's talk about now going into pain and what is pain. And we've all experienced it. None of us like it. Well, most of us don't. There's a few masochists around. But um, what is brain and why is the brain, uh, what is pain and what does the brain have to do with it? And why is it so important to be looking at the deeper levels of pain and what, what's going on? Yeah, cool. Um, I should start with like, I'm no expert on the actual pain science, but I have um, delved into a lot of the books and a lot of the research and I've put together a little bit of a mini series on my new podcast about mm. this. It's the the pain science, explaining the pain science. Yeah. And uh, it's hard for people to kind of wrap their mind around because a lot of people get really uh, defensive when a health professional or a doctor will talk to someone about their chronic pain and say it's all in your head and I've had clients in my clinic uh, come in with years and years of low back pain or knee pain and they sit down they're a bit frustrated and they say the doctor says it's all in my head but it's not all in my head I can feel it and they kind of associate it all being in their head like they're making it up yeah but that's not the case at all no. and we've known for a long time now that a hundred percent of the pain that you experience is from your brain. That's uh, where the science lies. And saying it's all in your head is kind of poor. Um, poor well, it can be misinterpreted really, yeah, really quickly. And all they're trying to say is it's from your brain and it's how your brain perceives a threat. And that's when all the pain signals arise. Like you could have, um, as if you could have someone who, believes has certain beliefs that increases a threat or certain beliefs that decreases that threat 
and the pain signals generated um, signify that. And a couple of examples I use on my podcast is um, like you hear a lot of stories of people of not knowing like that they've been mugged and adrenaline's pumping and they don't really know they've actually been stabbed in the back or um, it's just like all gone too quickly. They don't realize and they have no idea, but it's not until later on when they realize that's when the pain starts. And there's also uh, could go the other way where someone has some really, really minor knee pain and the, the level of damage is really, really low, but the brain starts to think, Oh, I had knee pain in the past. Oh, my mum had knee pain and she was limping for three years and she was on crutches for two months. And what about if I can never run again? I've got this marathon in two weeks. Um, what about if I can never run again? And all these messages that you send yourself feeds that brain and the brain starts to uh, assess the level of threat and will produce that adequate level of, um, of pain, depending on what, like yeah, so how necessary, what the threat is. Yeah. So to paraphrase that, that's, it's reinforcing. So yes, there's a, there's a small tissue damage, but it's reinforcing the fact when you, when you focus in on it in a negative way with negative stress towards that event, and sometimes it can be blown out of full proportion. And I love the analogy with the, you know, you've been stabbed in the back, but you don't feel it because you're so adrenalized. So that's, yeah. that's actually, you know, a neurotransmitter actually dampening down the pain responses. So just a question that pops to mind there. Like I know like when I've had uh, horrendous blisters, for example, right? And you'd stop for a break and then you get back out there and the, the pain is insane for the first 10 minutes and then it goes. Like it, it's a really bizarre sort of, I don't know if people have had that experience where every time you stop and have a break and then restart, that's when you notice the blisters a hundred times more, you know, it's more extreme. And then after 10 minutes or so, it's like the endorphins or something kicks back in and the pain level becomes manageable. Um, so what's going on in that sort of a case? Can you, do you know what's happening there? Uh, I could try and answer it the best I can. Yeah. Uh, the first, the first concept I talk about in the podcast is, uh, context. What, what sort of context do you give, uh, the scenario? And, uh, I played a clip on the podcast, this guy called Lorimer Mimosley. He has the, is the author of this explain pain book. And he uses the example of, uh, he's walking in the bush and he trips over a twig and um, scratches his leg. Nothing really happens. He's like, oh, it's just, just you used to scratch your legs all the yeah. time. Uh, you used to scratch your legs on twigs when you were a kid. This is no big deal. And turns out he was bitten by a snake and he was in hospital and is um, a, a life-threatening scenario. Yep. Uh, but he didn't experience any pain until he realized he was bitten by the snake. A couple of years later, he's on that same track and he finds that he clips his foot on something and is in extreme pain because the brain thinks, hang on, you were here years ago and you almost died. Level of threat goes up. And uh, so he's in extreme levels of pain, but then realize it was only a twig. And so it's what the, the brain tends to interpret. So going back to your blister question, yeah, cool. uh, you, as you can start running, the brain can say, oh, look, I'm running and I'm not dying. I'm okay. There's no real threat. Yes, it hurts, but I'm not limping. I'm not, um, I'm still continuing. Like it's not the, the level of threat isn't as bad as like another injury per se. And so the, uh, 
I guess you could say the level of threat st- starts to decrease and then the brain then, doesn't really see it as much of a priority. I wonder if there's some neurotransmitters involved here, you know, like endorphins and stuff that, or serotonin yeah. or something that actually dampens down the pain response or whether it is your, because another, another example I'll give, um, I was right, you know, when I ran through New Zealand and we're doing 2,250 Ks in 42 days, it turned out. Um, and at the beginning, in the first two weeks, it was just getting worse and worse. And like the pain was horrific and my body was falling to pieces and the immune system was going up the watts and all the rest. And it got to a point where I just had absolute rock bottom and I didn't think I could continue, but I did continue. And when I did continue, I actually went back up the other side. I actually got stronger and stronger. And it was almost like the body's way of going, stop, 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 stop. You're over, you know, you're, you're absolutely you're going to kill us. So I'm going to throw everything at you to stop. And then you didn't stop. So it went like, well, shit, we better get on with it. And, and, mm. and we better start dealing with it. And you actually got better and stronger. And I've heard that phenomenon from other ultra runners who've done, you know, thousands of kilometer races, that that's what happens. It actually gets, goes really down to the rock bottom. And then if you don't stop, it's, it comes back up. Um, and you see it even in ultra marathons where you think you're at the end of your tether and then you you keep pushing on somehow, slowly, you know, groveling your way forward, and then all of a sudden you're back, you know, and, and you don't know why or how, or, or, or and, and that's not just a pain thing, but that's more of a um, an energy thing as well. But it, it is bizarre how the body, like when, when it perceives a threat, so a third example, and I'll still, I promise I'll stop giving examples, but <laughs> the third example is, Every almost in every major race that I've done, where it's been a big, scary, you know, horrifyingly uh, threatening race, if you liked, you know, two hundred k or something like that. Um, the days ahead of the race, I I in, it seem to always end up with either an injury, a cold, or something happens, and you end up not being in good shape. And I think it's the body's knowing this battle is coming and it's trying to stop you from actually standing on the start line, if that makes sense. Yeah. We do anyway, you, it, it, it tends to be a non-event. It's like the body is faking it to try and stop you actually taking on this because it sees it as a threat and knows a threat is coming. Yeah. I think when I was talking about the pain science side of things, I tended to uh, stay... I guess I didn't cover the endorphin side, like in the heat of the moment type of pain, yes. uh, because that's definitely uh, a science that is proven and shown that if you have these endorphins, they can help get you through these like uh, really intense moments. Um, endurance athletes, they just have another mindset that is far beyond what anyone else can experience. But it's funny that you have uh, that story because if it's a really long endurance race and you're doing months, weeks, or like days and days of these intense exercise, your body's going to think, we're not ready for this. Let's start um, giving out signals for the body to slow down because this is a threat. But right. as soon as you go through that dip and you sort of see the other side, the body has gone through its shock and it's almost like you're convincing it. Uh, yeah. We can do this. Let's, let's go do this. And, there's definitely these peaks and troughs and those troughs usually come at like the halfway point where you're like, yeah. I just don't know if I can do this. But then when your mind is so strong and you're like, no, I don't care how bad we're feeling. We're doing this. The body's like, okay, let's do it. And so 
um, will start to um, prioritize other things rather than pain and say, okay, let's do what we can to get through this. Yes, I really believe that. So, I mean, this is transgressing from just purely a pain thing, but also, you know, and that whole mindset thing. And when you go in it, you know, same with the, the story with my mum, when you go all in and when you have an open mind to their possibilities of therapies outside of what, you know, you were told was possible. And this is the issue that I have with doctors taking away people's hope or giving people terminal um terminal uh, prognosis, you know, you've got terminal cancer and you're going to die in three months. Well, you've just bloody signed it before, basically. Yeah. Because you, you, you've you set that seed in the, in the brain um, and, and that becomes a reality. Like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy often. Um, and there have been examples of this where people have, you know, subsequently died within the time frame, they've done the autopsy and there's no, no cancer. You know, yeah. there's a misdiagnosis or, th- or something. Um, and people go, well, why did they die in that time frame? Because you've set your mind onto something and whatever you believe. And so one of the things with this book is that I want people to understand that even when the doctors are telling you there is no way, you have to, if you want a chance at success, you have to go all in and ignore the naysayers completely. Whether they have a scientific point or not, you know, whether they're actually correct or not, if you want a chance at beating the odds, then you have to go in with an attitude of, nah, not listening to that, absolutely rejecting that. I'm doing it my way and this is the way we're going. Because only then do you have a tiny chance of actually making it. That's not to say you will make it, but that is to say that you have a chance because your mind is at least going on that, that route. And then you will see things, you will learn things, you will find things that you wouldn't otherwise find. And one of the problems that I've, I've you know, because I work now with a lot of people with uh, brain injuries or dementia or Alzheimer's or things that are facing pretty major diagnoses, and the problem that I have with a lot of people is they don't buy in to what I'm saying 100%. And they don't have an open mind and they have the I'll try it attitude. And that mm. I'll try it, try it attitude is, is never, ever going to get you there. Not with something as major as what we, you know, when you're dealing with a, a massive running event or a massive health event, you have to be, I'm going all in and my mind's open and I'm taking all this information in and I'm going to process it and I'm going to actually be proactive in it. If you go in, you know, um, with a half-hearted attitude towards it, you don't have a show, you know. Because um, we are talking about beliefs as well. And that's yeah. like whatever you believe is what the brain is going to perceive and so if you go in half-heartedly that's not shifting your belief at all it's i'll still believe my old thing yes but give it this one a try it's not shifting any of that belief yeah and you won't be successful and i and i've seen this time and time and again with people and i can almost predict who are the ones that are going to have at least some level of success because they're all in the you know if you tell me to jump and put a carrot up my nose i'll do it Mm. because they are all in on the process and, and, and it's not about even what, what therapies are you doing or what are you, what are you achieving? It's the mindset first to go in with that approach into any challenge that you're facing and pain. And the, the hard thing with pain is that it's so intense, you know, and so immediate. Um, I've been in situations, you know, where I've had incredible, incredibly bad pain with a few of the health issues that I've dealt with. 
um, without going into the details, where I was, you know, trying to mobilise all my mental power to control the pain and was still unable to, you know, was still unable, had to get the morphine shot or whatever for it to go. But there must be a way to get in there, like when you've got an acute pain happening and you're trying to breathe through it and you're trying to, you know, you see the ladies and giving birth and they're told to just breathe and relax. <laughs> and it sounds so ridiculous, but the more you fight it, the worse it actually is. And that's what they're trying to portray. But it isn't as easy as just, oh, well, you know, I'll take myself off to a happy place and it'll go away. <laughs> I, I wish it was that easy, but it <laughs> isn't quite that easy with intense, really intense pains at least. So what else can you tell us about the pain? Um, so fear plays a part. Your previous experience plays a part. Yeah. Um, the context that you uh, associate around this pain all play a major, you know, that, that Laura Mimosley or Mosley, was it? Hard to say, I know. <laughs> yeah, I saw his TED talk on that and actually I sent it to my brother who was dealing with some back injury issues. Um, and I think that was that was really gold, you know. Mm. He thought the twig Sums was up the really snake. well. Yeah, and he thought the, the, the snake was the twig. So it, it is a really good um, thing. Okay, so anything else you want to add on to the pain conversation? Uh, yes. Yeah, so if we're talking about beliefs and if someone does have a running injury, I ask people to um, have a, a good self-reflection of what you, beliefs you have held on to because I see a lot of injured runners and especially those ones who have multiple running injuries or really chronic running injury, they have certain beliefs. They'll say, Oh, um, my health professional in the past has said that I um, have one leg longer than the other. And my glutes on the left side doesn't fire right. And my hips go out of line if I run 10 Ks and I just need to um, readjust that and start firing up my glutes again. I don't know how or I don't know how to activate my glutes but they're just not working right now and uh, my feet collapse and all this sort of stuff and it's this extremely disempowering belief that they have and how are they meant to thrive if they keep feeding their brain with these beliefs as soon as they go for a run the brain's going to be like but wait you have a uh, yeah. one leg longer than the other and the, those messages will start feeding the the body and these will start arising as like I said, it's really, really disempowering. And if you uh, play yourself victim to those beliefs, you're just going to continuously have these injuries. And it's not until you shift your focus. And all those things that I mentioned, these leg length discrepancies um, and hips out of line, there's no like science around that. If you mm. have a one centimeter leg length discrepancy, it's not going to affect your biomechanics or what's firing or anything. Um, there is science once you get beyond 20 mil. Um, leg length discrepancy that's when it can slowly start to yeah uh, change your biomechanics but um it's extremely rare that someone has that level of discrepancy it's like usually a couple of mil here and there and so really what those beliefs you give yourself uh have some self-reflection and see if what if the beliefs you have if they're really really serving you or if they're yep. um heading in the other direction they're definitely and, and i can't i can't agree with you more and things like you know I'm an asthmatic, therefore I can't run. You know, the amount of times that I've heard that and it's like, hang on a second, I'm an asthmatic. I know lots of other asthmatics who run and we, you know, like as a child, a severe asthmatic. When you, when you, but when you program that that means I cannot do this, 
that's when you're going to limit yourself as, into your potential. And on the other, the other extreme, you know, I've seen people with crazy injuries doing crazy things like, you know, um, person with one leg running across Death Valley or a blind person running across the Sahara in Morocco or a person with multiple sclerosis going across the desert on crutches because they couldn't run anymore. You know, like it is up to you as to what you believe and how you think that that can be dealt with. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the, the areas of study that, I'm, uh, that we do in our company called epigenetic testing, and it looks at the different uh, phenotypes and health types of people. And there are certain people in, within the, you know, the, the differences of humankind. There's, like a, 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 there's six different health types, and these are a broad overview. And there are a couple that have a heightened sensitivity to um, neural uh, pain and sensitivity to the environmental stimulus. So these are what they call people who are sensors, which are usually very, um, a lot of the uh, development when they're an embryo went into their nervous system development. So they're very brain and nervous system focused and they're very sensitive to the environment and to, uh, they feel pain more uh, intensely. They uh, are reactive more to their environment. They're usually very slim ectomorph body types and they're usually very much in their brain, and very cognitive, like very big thinkers. Um, and, and they have a, a tendency more to, be, to feel the pain than say someone who is like an activator, which is another of the types. And they're the short muscular um, body types, very good coordination, very athletic. And their dominant hormone is adrenaline. And the adrenaline means that they can um, withstand more pain because they have more adrenaline going through the system. Now, it has other disadvantages by having so much adrenaline. Uh, but they don't, they're not as sensitive to the pain or they don't experience as, as intensely as someone of a, of a sensor makeup who's a, you know, more... Um, it's a little bit hard to explain, but the, the sensory overload very quickly. Yeah, uh, So I think there's some gen genetic uh, reasons why people, some people feel it more than other people as well. Um, and again, this comes down to the whole chemical makeup and the dominant hormones and the dominant neurotransmitters that we have running through our body as to how much we will uh, experience pain and other, other areas as well. Hmm. So really, really fascinating topic, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Another thing on the fear, on the uh, injury side, you know, like again, working with someone who has a back injury, and they definitely have a mechanical back injury. Like there's a couple of discs that are that are that are bulging and so on. But I'm convinced that it, their their pain is not only from the back injury, because they've had that for years, but it's suddenly intensified. And I think there's a lot to do with other health issues going on, and that's exacerbating it. Um, things like uh, the gut health is affecting the, the pain levels in the body and the inflammation in the body. Uh, they put on a weight a little bit around the middle, which is pulling their back in a, in a different way. They are, in my opinion, probably dehydrated and not doing enough uh, aerobic exercise, so they're stagnant and their, their periphery circulation is stagnant. Um, all of these things contribute to the back pain. And so you can't just go and 
take an anti-inflammatory and think, you know, you'll be right, or even have surgery and think you'll be all right because you're not addressing the system. And it can, it can have a tissue-related mechanical reason that you have an injury, but it's not the only part of the equation that you need to be addressing. I mean, I've got four discs that are completely buggered. There's nothing in between my discs, and yet I don't have any pain. Because, but I did, but I spent a lot of time working on, on things like hydration, my immune system, my gut health, uh, my core strength, and all of these aspects to it, and not focusing just on, I've got to go and get the, the su- surgery to fuse the back, which was what was recommended. Um, and I now don't have any touch wood pain, which I used to have on an absolute you know, debilitating level. I'll quickly add, like when we're talking about mechanical pain and uh, lower back and discs and things like that, um, we need to be really careful with how we explain these to patients and how people interpret their scan findings. And there's, if you're beyond 40 years old and into 50s, 60s, there's going to be degeneration, there's going to be disc bulges, there's going to be all these Mm. findings, um, which can lead, like, which can be asymptomatic. And if you have, if you scan 100, healthy people with no pain whatsoever you scan their backs up to well depending on the age let's say if they're above 50 up to 80 percent of them are going to have some disc bulges they're going to have some degeneration they're going to show some findings and they're all healthy they're showing no pain so if someone with back pain comes in and they're like i want to get a scan and they scan they show these disc bulges okay is this related to their pain who knows because they're um you know, you've got all these studies of all these healthy people that have these findings. How can we correlate the two? There are very, very um, low percentage people that will have like a really significant disc protrusion that's obstructing one of the nerves or impinging one of the nerves, which usually causes like weakness and like permanent numbness down the legs. That's a very serious condition. But when I have someone come into my clinic and they've had years of back pain, they're like, look at all this, look at all these scans. They like, shove these results into my face and they're like look look at this level this level this level and you have to um really peg them back a little bit and uh show them okay you need to give them a little bit of reassurance as well because they're panicking and it doesn't really serve them with their rehabilitation um so you need to be really careful with how you deal with these sort of clients yes and and then actually you know doing proactive things before you grow up to surgery you know like Let's try strengthening the core. Let's try sorting your gut bacteria out. Let's try um, re- reducing the inflammation load in your body through other means, you know, cutting out the bad stuff and doing more, more aerobic exercise and, and doing these things and more sleep and, you know, all of these basic things that a lot of people neglect because they, they want the more complicated answer. They want the, more, the surgery, the pill, the whatever that's going to make it just magically go away instead of taking a systems approach. And in everything that we do, we're always looking at the whole system as best as we can with our knowledge, you know. It's, it's understanding what could be possibly contributing it before we go and get caught under the knife, which is a drastic thing for anybody to do. So, like, it, it's worth, in my opinion, trying everything else before we try that route, you know. Um, Agreed. And, uh, if, you know, if I hadn't, done what I'd done I wouldn't I wouldn't be speaking from experience but um yeah it was either get four discs fused which would be a huge I'd never be as mobile again I'd you know probably never be able to to do a lot of things if I'd done that 
and now just spending a huge amount of time in the core. There's a lot of exercise and work that goes into keeping my core and my, you know, my back and all that, the hip and all of these areas strong, but I'm pain-free. And I know this is only one anecdotal um, example of this, but it's not an isolated case. I'm damn sure of it. Okay, so now let's let's uh, leave the pain conversation. I read one of your blogs on Red S. Can you explain that and what the heck uh, you mean by by that? Yeah, relative energy deficiency in sport is a um, recognized condition. It used to be. Um, the female triad, uh, which I'll explain in a second, but now it's applied to males also because they see this. And it's a condition where you have um, like your body, the best I can explain is like your body has a certain amount of energy that it can dissipate when you exercise. And if you you need to replace that energy with things like nutrition, like proper diet, um, if you really exceed the output, your energy output, and your input doesn't uh, meet that level, your body is going to start producing, I guess you could call it output energy by um, extracting minerals from your muscles, from your bones, mm-hmm. and just try, they have to get the energy from somewhere. It can't mm-hmm. be just created out of thin air. Wow. And so if you're starting to um, do more and more work, if you're mm-hmm. starting to really push yourself and get into ultras and all that sort of stuff and you're not feeding yourself the right energy then uh, you're going to get into this energy deficit and so the energy deficit if it's over a longer period of time um, it can take enough minerals out of the bone and start causing things like stress fractures it can um, redirect the energy from say your internal organs and you can start having gut issues and um, all these sort of things and it can just be a really downward spiral into a lot of injuries, a lot of stress, a lot of um, chronic issues, and it can get really, really uh, dangerous and can start to lead to a lot of real health complications. Mm. And so uh, it used to be very common in females who were in adolescence, who were very, um, like had a lot of body image issues and was like under a lot of pressure to perform as well. And so- They would really work hard, but also not feed themselves enough because they wanted to have a better image of themselves. And if they were told they need to lose a few kilos or um, whatever have you, so they're working hard on the track and they're also not feeding their body. And they would start having um, like an altered menstrual cycle or because their body is redirecting preferences away from the internal organs. And they start having gut issues because we're redirecting that. We need to. Um, prioritize the the energy output like the running yeah and the body's always going to give your energy to the uh the physical activity that you're giving itself because if you think evolutionary you need to run away from a predator um that is the highest priority that the body's going to give is the physical output and so then the internal guts and the the minerals from all the other stuff that is gathering all those resources and putting it into that uh, energy output and can lead to really, really serious consequences. Wow. So that, 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 that um, it's just a type of overtraining syndrome or type of adrenal, um, adrenal burnout would also play into this. Um, so <laughs> I'm full of anecdotes today. As a young girl, I was a gymnast, and of course we were told we had to lose weight all the time. 
because we were, it had to be tiny, 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 and I was way too heavy. And that led to a whole lot of complications. And that's a very common thing with young pubescent girls, especially when they, you know, change, their body shape's changing as well. So their whole, you know, self-image is changing and then you're told you're fat all the time. It's brilliant. Um, <laughs> don't send your girls to gymnastics is all I can say. <laughs> or ballet, unless they're really, really tiny and don't have an issue with this. Um, and then uh, looking at even things like uh, I'm studying DNA uh, at the moment and looking at the hormone cascade and which, um, which path your, your body takes. So if you're an andro-dominant female, a female who produces quickly from your progesterone into your testosterone but very slowly into estrogens, then you're very likely, if you um, overtrain, you're, you're very likely to lose your menstrual stop cycle, which is a very big red flag if anybody is experiencing that. It's not something to go, oh, well, that's just great. I don't have a period every month. No, this is a serious health event. You need to be looking at why that's happening. Um, so if you're, yeah, if you're andro dominant, then you're, you know, usually you have um, less um, smaller breasts, less hip flare, um, and you're very likely to lose your, your cycle very quickly. So you can go into overtraining quite quickly. And if you're estro-dominant, then um, you can, it depends on which way you're processing the estrogens, and that's another conversation. But what, what is really important to note here is that you are running the risk. When you overtrain, you're not actually improving when you're actually training to the optimum level. So when you overtrain, all that hard work that you're putting into it is then being wasted because you're not recovering and not giving it the nutrients. And when, like you said, when you are under stress and your body will prioritize the physical energy because of the fight or flight syndrome. So then you're producing your cortisol and your adrenaline constantly, which a lot of us are dealing with not only athletes, but just with the lifestyle that we have constant demands from computers and emails and bosses and so on and bills. Um, so we're in this constant state of fight or flight and that takes energy away from your immune system, takes energy away from, excuse me, mum's ringing, <laughs> um, energy away from your immune system, from your ability to fight diseases and infections, your hormonal cycle, everything, your digestive processes, your recovery processes are all in deficit. And this is why optimizing your nutrition on top of of your training is really important and prioritizing the right amount of recovery. And this is very difficult territory for ultra marathoners, especially if you have the mentality, I'm tough, I can handle it, I can just push through and push through and push through. Um, and that can be really problematic, you know? Um, yeah. Because it's a, it, you know, it's a problem that I've dealt with definitely um, because you, you're on the one side, you want to be tough and push through and you can, and that has great benefits. But on the other side, you're actually doing yourself health disservice. And you can be fit but unhealthy, um, which is a really you know, important point. Yeah. Um, you might also be interested. I've got a, um, an, a podcast episode on this interwoven relationship between sleep and uh, stress mm -hmm. and recovery. And I do mention this um, cortisol that gets uh, yeah. released through the body and the importance of that. And it's this really interwoven relationship that all those um, concepts have and the impact it has on your running and your injury uh, risk and performance. It's, it's a really um, 
interesting concept that not a lot of people would take into consideration. Like you were saying, people just care about yeah. output. They just care about running. If I run faster, if I run further, if I um, do it more frequently, that's how I'm going to get stronger. But it's not really the case. No, it, it, you get better, stronger, faster when you actually go and sleep better and eat properly. Good. And yeah. To train hard, you need to sleep hard. I've been told that yeah. a couple of times and it rings true. Absolutely. So, you know, we have a, like a thing, like a checklist that we get our athletes to do. Um, and you can do this with your HRV apps as well. Um, that, that, that measure your heart rate variability. Um, but then you can see if you're actually going into overtraining, you know, if, if you're just rating on a scale of one to 10, your hydration yesterday, your sleep, your stress levels, your injury levels, um, your mood, all of these things will give you an indication. Are you heading in the wrong direction? If you're coming back with low scores and you've got a big training day today, it might be good idea not to do that training and that level of responsibility and not feeling guilty and understanding your body um is really uh something that you have to learn and grow with over time or if you've got a great coach you can say your numbers aren't looking good on your hrv or whatever you need to pull back today i want you to have a day off and, and that's scary for athletes you know when you're training for some great huge event and you've got to have a day off and you're like yeah. oh uh, it's all going to go to custard but i can tell you if you can if you start to listen and read your body better, you'll have a better performance on less, on less training than if yeah. you're pushing it to the absolute nth degree. And you see this like with athletes in the last three weeks, they haven't done enough training throughout the program. And then the last three weeks, they're trying to cram in what they didn't do because, oh my God, the race is around the corner. And that's mm. the worst thing you can do. Yeah. You're just not going to recover enough to be able to run. I'm glad you're talking about this because this is the idea of the podcast. It's called the Run Smarter Podcast because you can train hard, but you actually need to be smart. And I see this all the time. Like runners don't make the best decisions. They, they really, really don't. And you, they come into my clinic and they're injured and they tell me about their story and you feel like you just want to slap your forehead with, <laughs> with your hand because they're just talking through their story. And you're like, why are you making these decisions? Like why? It just seems that it's either just their drive, their personality, right. and they're just like, they're a perfectionist and they want to perform and they just have to do it. Sometimes it's a bit of an addiction, but sometimes it's just lack of knowledge and uh, they just don't understand the consequences certain things can have and the importance of sleep and recovery and having rest days and having slow recovery days. And yeah, so it's all about training smarter and being a smarter runner that's going to lead you to be a better runner. And then that, that is, and this is valid for not just runners, but for everybody and learning and understanding and having that maturity and, you know, having, having done everything wrong in the early years of my career or even in yep. the later years of my career, um, I know what I'm talking about. I mean, like going back to the um, Red S um, syndrome or whatever you call it, um, I remember doing that race in the Himalayas, a 222K race, and I came back the next week and three, three teeth fell out. You know? Wow. That, that, that says something, doesn't it? The minerals in your body are just getting smashed to hell to high heaven and, and yeah. to, lose, to lose teeth means you're up pretty up shit crank. <laughs> wow, I've never heard of that before. That's crazy. Yeah, uh, it was pretty extreme. Three teeth in a week. It was an expensive week, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of implants. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, this is, a, you know, like I have spent an absolute fortune in my mouth. It's a mortgage in my mouth. And a lot of it is because I just overtrained and overtrained for years and lost teeth. You know? Wow. So, um, and you can imagine what that's doing then to your bones and all the other things, your cycle and everything else. So sometimes being, being tough and having a strong drive and having a willpower and, and having 
uh, mental toughness and all that is, is great, but not at the expense of your health and you have to sort of have a, a little bit of experience and wisdom and listen to these sorts of things to try to understand when am I just being an idiot and when am I, you know, <laughs> really being sensible. And I think it's like when, when you talk about that, like how do I know if I'm being sensible take a like a bird's eye view of your performance and your training over the last six months, 12 months, couple of years. Like, have you been battling injuries constantly? Oh, have oh, you been yeah. increasing your performance? Have you been increasing your running times? Have you, um, do you feel like you can jump out of bed? Do you feel like you can like start the day? Um, it's really like, I, I don't know if it's just a running thing. I think it's like a human thing. We really st- struggle to, um, like get a, a mental image of what it's been like the last 12 months. We see ourselves in this like little one yeah, week one window week. and say like, I need to perform. I need to get better. I need to get better. And you need to really, really take a step back to analyze all of that thing. Like, you know, I know for myself, I haven't um, really like, I, I say, if I start performing now, I'm going to in one year's time, I'm going to be at this level. If I'm at two years time, I'm going to be at that level. And you you can just see it happening. But, in the last three years, I've got nowhere near that. So it's <laughs> taking a, a good bird's eye view of how you're tracking. It could really be a good, helpful tool. So like you were talking about seeing, um, am I making smarter decisions? Am I, uh, you know, ticking the goals I want? And am I making the right decisions? And, and that's, so, that's so true. And, you know, we are, we are also individuals and this harps back to the epigenetic stuff. Like not everybody is going to respond the same to each training regime. Like we can have a, an athlete that we're training and two of them, they've got the same diet, they've got the same, maybe the same age, the same sex, the same goals, and they'll get completely different results because one has a different set of genes than the other one. And understanding that level and being able to personalize it to their genes, well, that's, that's you know, just next level information that, that we can add into the conversation and change the way the times of the day that you do it and the, the, the foods that you are eating and all of that sort of information. So it's exciting times that we're living in because we never had insights into this sort of information earlier. Um, so now, you know, you, you see people making new records and, and things being broken all the time and even the average person getting much more good results. But I think from this whole um, conversation, and we'll wrap up now, Brody, um, you, you know, you've given people a lot of food for thought a lot of food mm-hmm. thought about the brain, the limitations in your, you know, are you limiting yourself with, with your pain, the way you're experiencing it, with the way you're experiencing your belief systems and how it's influencing your injuries. Um, also the red S, the, what is it? The um, energy relative deficit. Energy dis- relative energy deficit, yep. Yeah, relative energy deficit um, and overtraining and um just wisdom like you know for a young guy you've got a, a great mature outlook and obviously your education your ongoing education has enabled that so once again where can people find you your podcast your links how can they reach out to you if they need help uh okay so on instagram it's brody.sharp is my handle um I've got a Facebook group called Become a Smarter Runner and it kind of backs off, uh, like links in with the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to follow the podcast, it's called the Run Smarter Podcast and it's available on all the platforms wherever you listen um, to your podcasts. Um, my website is um, breakthroughrunning.physio and 
that has my blogs and as well as like my um, Facebook groups and stuff like that. I just post my blogs, I post evidence and uh, a couple of little tips, a couple of exercises here and there. So uh, I think that's all the links cool. I think we can include. So we'll, yeah. we'll get all those links in the show notes, Brody. So thank you very much for your time today and your expertise and your insights and it just makes me smile because, you know, a lot of the stuff I can actually, you know, relate to obviously with my crazy anecdotes, mm-hmm. but, but also it, it reinforces the learning that I have, but, but you have another, another, another lens and another way of, of bringing it across. So really, really appreciate your time today and look forward to doing some stuff with you in the future. You're very welcome. It was a lot of fun. Good luck for the next two weeks of just grinding out this book. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Tough. That's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends and head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.